All right, let's take our Bibles and go to 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. And 1 Timothy chapter 2, I'd like, Lord willing, this morning to finish on a thought that we've been working on. The man Christ Jesus. The man Christ Jesus. And 1 Timothy 2, verse 5, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Father, Lord, I, uh, this is one of these subjects, not unlike heaven and hell, where I just feel inadequate, the opportunity, and, and certainly it's not within me, the ability to lift up Christ. Uh, Father, we pray that you would do through the Holy Spirit that supernatural work which can only be done by you. Uh, anoint the words, especially your words from your book, to our hearts that we might walk away from this place more focused on Christ, more encouraged about him. And uh, Lord, realize that even though uh, men, even the best among us, will disappoint, that the Lord Jesus Christ never has nor ever will, and that we might lift him up during this time and go away from this place more encouraged to speak of him to a lost and dying world, for it's in his name we pray. Amen. The man Christ Jesus. Uh, we got started on this by talking about uh, no man ever spake like Jesus Christ. And we were over in John chapter 7, where the Sanhedrin sent the temple police to apprehend Christ and bring him. And while they were with him, they fell under the spell of his teaching. They came back without him, and they said, why have you not brought him? And they said these simple words, never man spake like this man. And that's the truth of it. No man ever spoke like Christ. And then we discussed how no man ever sorrowed like the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, the Bible calls him a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And then we talked about how no man ever rejoiced like the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this morning, I'd like for you to take your Bibles and go to John chapter 2. John chapter 2. And we want to talk about how no man ever hated like Christ. Now, some people think because of the liberal mentality of our culture and even in religion and professing biblical religion that, you know, God's only love, God doesn't hate anything or anyone but that's not true. Um, that's a, a thought process that eliminates the most important moral attribute of God, and that is God's holiness. And certainly God is love, and we'll talk about that here in a little bit. But there are also some things that God hates because God is a holy God. And we're in John chapter 2 and picking it up at verse 13. And the Jews' Passover was at hand. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem and found in the temple those that sold oxen and sheep and doves and the changers of money sitting. Now, the Jews were to bring sacrifices to the temple, but the leaders there had, had, had um, decided that it would be profitable 
to sell the sacrifices right there to them to bring, which of course defeats the purpose of the sacrifice and uh, just turned a profit for them. And uh, it's something that wasn't in God's program or plan. And so the Bible says in verse 15, when he had made a scourge of small cords, so he prepared a whip, he drove them all out of the temple and the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overthrew the tables. Now, some would say he didn't have the sweet spirit of Christ. <laughs> but this is the Lord himself. And you can tell he's angry, okay? He wasn't doing this while he was smiling. He was angry. And said unto them that sold doves, Take these things hence, and make not my father's house an house of merchandise. And his disciples remembered that it was written, The zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. No man ever hated like Jesus. And in this particular case, we can see that it was religious hypocrisy that he was striking out against. The Bible talks about perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness from such withdraw thyself. Uh, many times in an attempt to witness to somebody, I'll get a response something like this. Well, I don't like religion. And I'll usually reply by saying this, uh, Jesus didn't either. Amen? Uh, because the gospel of Christ, we're not talking about man-made religion. We're not talking about that. Uh, we're not talking about the priest in Luke chapter 10 when the man had been beaten to within an inch of his life and was left there and ultimately would be salvaged by the good Samaritan. But the first encounter that the man had was with a priest. And the priest just walked by, didn't do anything, and the priest represents religion. And you say, why didn't the priest do something to help him? Well, it's very simple. The man had already been robbed. And that's what religion does. And you know, people have a certain fondness for their religion, I'm afraid, even when they know that religion is not biblical. Even when they know that religion is not biblical. And folks, um, I don't care what you were raised with or what your grandma believes. That's another fallback. Uh, folks, we got to take the side of the Word of God. And that's what Jesus was doing here. And, and why was he so angered at all of this? Well, folks, false religion serves as a placebo to people, but not the real thing, and deceives them into a Christless eternity and an inability to get their sins forgiven. Many are cold, but a few are frozen. Uh, Matthew chapter 23, if we were to take the time this morning, you would be looking at a chapter that is the longest rebuke that the Lord Jesus Christ ever gave, virtually the entire chapter. And what is it about? It's about the religious hypocrisy of Judaism in his day. And he takes after the scribes and the Pharisees and the religious lawyers of his day, and he delivers an entire chapter, which is the most scathing rebuke found anywhere in the Word of God against false religion. False religion gives the real thing a bad name. 
Jesus hated that. Uh, Jesus hated the devil and his works. Folks, every misery known to man starts in Genesis chapter 3 with the disobedience of Adam and Eve, and it's passed on generation to generation. The results of sin from Eden until now could be uh, summarized by every single misery, every single woe, every single problem that man experiences. Jesus hated the devil and his works. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 3, He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Do you know, we've reached a point in our society where we think if we just legalize something, uh, that's going to make it okay. That's going to make it okay. And of course, people point back uh, to the days of prohibition and say, see, we legalized liquor. That was the right thing to do. Uh, well, I beg your pardon. <laughs> uh, you're forgetting a few things, statistically and otherwise. And uh, now we've taken uh, into drugs now, and we're going to legalize that, and that's going to work just great, isn't it? And you know where all that comes from? It comes from 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. For the love of money is the root of all evil. Not the money, but the love of it. And uh, the Bible tells us uh, about these things, and, and people look at it and they think, well, you know, we'll, we'll take it out of the hands of the underworld. We'll take it off of the black market, and uh, we'll collect, we'll tax it, and we'll make money, and we'll do good things with that money. Yeah, you're going to be building a lot of rehab centers is what you're going to do with that money. But uh, prostitution, the same thing. Uh, they found out in Amsterdam that that's a, 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 a disaster. And uh, uh, gambling, and people with gambling problems. And people have that attitude about sin. People have that attitude about these things. They think if you just embrace it, it'll make it okay. If you just say it's okay, uh, it'll be okay. Uh, just like all this business, it's, it's turned into perversion now, but the love of money is the root of all evil. I wonder how much of the idea of profit in the medical community has driven this idea to take little children and mutilate them uh, with the idea that we're going to settle their gender dysphoria. Folks, like I told you the other night, uh, puberty will take care of that. And that's how God put us together and just let the process work. But the love of money is the root of all evil. And Jesus hated the devil and his works. Jesus hated sin. I think of the organ harvesting, forced organ harvesting that's going on with people that are alive in China. And the list goes on and on and on. And the Bible tells us, for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise part, took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil. I'm reminded of what the English poet Alexander Pope once wrote. He said, Vice is a monster of such awful mien that to be hated it needs but to be seen. But seen too oft, familiar of face, we first endure then pity, then embrace.
And I think an example of that was here when recently when David Bowie died, the way the media was falling all over themselves to praise what a great guy he was and how much he contributed to society. And uh, I fail to understand what they're even talking about. Jesus hated the devil and hated his works. Jesus hated religious hypocrisy. Jesus hated sin. Sin will take you farther than you intended to stray. Sin will keep you longer than you intended to stay. And sin will cost you more than you intended to pay. And Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. And we shouldn't compromise with sin. We should be the sworn enemy of sin because mark it down, folks, sin is a sworn enemy of you. And if you think you can take sin and tame it, you're, you're badly mistaken. Uh, the story goes about a hunter that was hunting a bear, and he had the bear in his sights, and his bear said to him, he said, hang on a second, don't be so fast about pulling the trigger. And they got into a discussion, and the bear said, what are you looking for? And he says, well, I'm looking for a fur coat. And the bear says, well, I'm just looking for a meal. And the hunter talked to him long enough to the point where they both got that what they wanted at the same time. And that's the way sin will work. Never compromise with a sworn enemy. I think of Neville Chamberlain uh, getting off the plane and holding up that piece of paper that he got Hitler to sign just before the Second World War broke out. And what did he say? Peace in our times peace in our times, and he believed that appeasement would do it. And folks, we, we fool ourselves when we think we can appease sin, and sin will finally leave us alone. The Bible says, there hath no temptation taken to you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will also with the sin, uh, with the temptation, make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. And sometimes we just have to play an old fight against sin. And every time you give into it, it gets a stronger hold on you. It's not something you should compromise with. Um, Jesus hated sin. Jesus hated the devil. Jesus hated the works of the devil. The Bible says the devil is a liar. And you say, where does all this lying come from? All this lying in our society, all this lying in politics, all this lying in education, all this lying in the field of medicine, all this lying in religion, all this lying all around us. It came from the devil. He's the father of lies. And Jesus hated those things, and no man ever hated like Jesus hated the devil and his works. And then if you'll take your Bibles and go to John chapter 15, John chapter 15 and I know these are simple truths, but they're truths that we need to be reminded of from time to time. John chapter 15, and John chapter 15, in verse 12, Jesus says in verse 12, This is my commandment, that ye love one another, as I have loved you. Then notice verse 13, Greater love hath no man than this that a man lay down his life for his friends. And I'm here to remind you this morning as well that he not only laid down his life for his friends, he laid down his life for his enemies as well. No man ever hated like Jesus. No man ever loved like Jesus. Take your Bibles and flip back a few pages to John chapter 3. 
You look at the hymnal we sing out of and how many songs talk about the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, I don't think you can write too much about it or say too much about it. But uh, John chapter 3 and verse 14, Christ speaking, he says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now notice verse 17. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Now why is that so in verse 17? Because folks, we were already condemned under the law of God. Uh, we had broken God's law. A thrice holy God had set up a moral and uh, civil and otherwise law, spiritual law, and we broke it. We break it uh, consciously. We break it unconsciously. We break it with sins of commission, doing things we shouldn't do. We break it by sins of omission, not doing things that we should do. And so Jesus says, God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world. That's already taken place, folks. Uh, without Christ, we're condemned criminals in the eyes of God. But notice what it says, but that the world through him might be saved. Now, folks, that's love. And in verse 18, it goes on to say, he that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Uh, the worst possible thing that you could neglect is to neglect to trust Christ as your Savior before you leave this earth. Um, Bible, be informed before leaving earth. Uh, be saved before leaving earth. You know, people talk about getting their will in order. That's a good thing. People talk about having the right insurance for this and that and having certain things set in case of certain problems. But folks, the Bible says it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. And death is a surety, folks. It's not a maybe. It's a surety. And judgment is just as sure to follow. And getting prepared means trusting Christ is your personal Savior. He that believeth on him is not condemned, verse 18, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And then God gets into motives here in verse 19. And he says, This is the condemnation, that light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. Can I ask you this morning, are you tired of your sin yet? Or do you still like it? You know, whether saved or lost, you're never going to get victory over sin if you still like it. And a lot of lost people reject Christ because they like the condition they're in. I remember growing up in religion and members of my family cussing the church out all the time and seeing the hypocrisy in it. And then you'd offer them salvation in Jesus Christ and they would cling to that religion again. They would cling to it again. They would hold it up as a shield against the truth of the gospel and say, I'm already okay. I, I, I go to mass. I go to confession. I'm, I, I'm okay. It's good. And, uh, you know, we as Christians will do the same thing with our sin. 
will say, I got this sin I'm struggling with. And uh, the, the truth be known, if you're struggling with it and you're not getting any victories, because you still like it. You still like it. I've talked to the men about the subject of pornography, and one of the first things I point out is that I want to take you through the Bible and get you to hate this sin. Because until you hate it, you're not going to get victory over it. That's true of any sin. And you know, with any sin, if we're going to get the victory over it, we got to take the long look. Uh, when temptation comes at us, the appeal of sin is there. The lure of sin is there. But what we need to do is look beyond that to the results of sin. And what is sin going to do to us? The Bible says the wages of sin is what? Death. Sin just produces death. And Jesus hated the devil, and he hated the works of the devil. He hated sin, and he loved us enough, even as sinners, he loved us enough, even when the Bible says in, in Ephesians 2 that we were his enemies, we were at enmity with God by our wicked works, he still loved us enough to send his son to die for us on the cross. And the Bible goes on to say in verse 19, and this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. Let me say this to somebody that doesn't know Christ. It's either here this morning or looking in on live stream. You need to get to the point where you see your sin for what it is. It's something that's going to end up with your death, and it's something that's going to drag you to a Christless eternity in hell. Because without trusting Christ as your Savior, your sins will stay with you, in accountability, and God will judge you for the penalty of your sins someday, and without Jesus Christ, you don't have any hope. Uh, no religion, no philosophy, no excuses will do. Only the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. And in verse 20, he goes on to say, For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth Cometh to the light that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. Do you have a thirst and a hunger for God this morning? Because God loves you. And you know, as much as people profess to, to uh, uh, embrace love, we embrace it in poetry, we embrace it in song, we embrace it in culture, we embrace it in discussion, you would think people would be interested in the greatest love story ever told. And that is God sending his son to die for sinful man who is shaking his fist in the face of God and blaming God for all of his problems that sin and disobedience to God brought on him. And God still loved us in spite of all that. Take your Bibles and go to, um, go to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. I mean, we could be here uh, 20 weeks talking about the love of God, just going through verse after verse after verse. But I'm just going to give you a few uh, samples here. This morning, Romans chapter 5, we're told in the book of Jeremiah, the Lord speaking, he says, I have loved thee with an everlasting love, therefore with loving kindness, therefore with loving kindness have I drawn thee. Aren't you glad that God drew you to himself in loving kindness? Aren't you glad for that? 
I think of my foolishness and my blindness about the things of God, my complete and total lack of understanding that that which sin had blinded me to, and I think of God's loving kindness in drawing me in such a way with that gentleness and loving kindness that he has uh, toward us. But uh, let's look at Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. And the Bible says in verse 6, Romans chapter 5, verse 6, For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Uh, much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, there's that word, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So not only does Jesus lay down his life for his friends right there in, uh, in, in John chapter 15, but we read here in Romans 5 that Christ died for God's enemies as well. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And folks, I don't think we can even completely grasp or appreciate the degree to which we were in trouble with God for our sin until we get on the other side and get to the great white throne judgment and see what goes on there. Because we get used to sin. We get accustomed to sin. We can start justifying sin and getting comfortable with it. But folks, a thrice holy God is not. And um, I think only eternity will tell just the serious peril that we are in and what Christ actually rescued us from in his love for us, even though we were sinners against him. Uh, one day many years ago, a great preacher evangelist named Dr. Walter Wilson was preaching, and after the, after the service was over, the workers were dealing with some people in the front, and they were dealing with one lady that was struggling with the concept of salvation. So he asked her, he says, uh, do you know any verses? Have you ever memorized any verses? And she says, well, only one. And he says, well, would you please quote it to me? And she proceeded to quote John 3.16, and she said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only forgotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And Dr. Wilson, rather than correcting her, said, Ma'am, do you know why God had to forget his Son? And she said, No. He said, So he could remember you. And folks, that's the truth of the matter. God had to turn his back on his Son that he might be able to turn toward us in love because Jesus bore the wrath of the penalty of our sins. I think of God's long-suffering, how it's demonstrated to us in all of this. God is so long-suffering. Um, it reminds me of an epitaph on an old English uh, churchyard uh, in a grave on a tombstone. It says, Here lie I, Martin Elgebrod. Have mercy on my soul, Lord God, as I would do if I were Lord God and ye were Martin Elgebrod. 
And you know what that demonstrates? That demonstrates the concept that all of us have. We all fancy ourselves to be very merciful, don't we? We all fancy ourselves, well, you know, I'm easygoing and I'm, I'm good at forgiving. And you want to know something? I was thinking about this the other day and I was thinking, I would not want to face my, my mercy exacted upon me in the day of my death at the judgment. And I think if we're all honest about it, we would all have to agree the same and thank God for his love and his mercy that goes beyond anything, humanly speaking, possible. Let's take our Bibles and go to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, first epistle of John. Toward the back of your Bible there. 1 John chapter 4. One day two preachers many years ago were walking down a country lane and they saw a barn that had a, um, uh, they had a weather vane on the top of this barn and on top of that weather vane it said God is love. And the one preacher uh, sort of took offense at that and he says, well, I don't think that's right because that weather vane is turning constantly and God's love is constant. It doesn't turn. But the other preacher said to him, he said, well, I think you misunderstand the point. Whichever way the wind blows, God is still love. And that is the truth, folks. And thank God for that great truth. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 18. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 18, the Bible says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, For there is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we, have we from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. I, I look at that and I'm, I'm reminded of two great truths. Uh, the first great truth, if you look at verse 19, is that God, our love for God emanates by, in, in response to his love for us. It's not something we can work out, folks. It's not something we can work up naturally because we are naturally all very selfish. And uh, Charles Haddon Spurgeon put it this way in his devotional book called Morning and Evening. He references 1 John 4.19 and he says this. He says, There is no light in the planet but that which proceedeth from the sun. And there is no true love to Jesus in the heart but that which cometh from the Lord Jesus himself. From this overflowing fountain of the infinite love of God, all of our love to God must spring. This must ever be a great and certain truth that we love him for no other reason but that he first loved us. Our love to him is the fair offspring of his love to us. Cold admiration cold admiration when studying the works of God anyone may have, but the warmth of love can only be kindled in the heart by God's Spirit. How great the wonder that such as we should have ever been brought to love Jesus at all. How marvelous that when we had rebelled against him, he should by a display of such amazing love seek to draw us back. 
Um, nor never should we have had a grain of love toward God unless it had been sown in us by the sweet, sweet seed of his love to us. Love then has for its parent the love of God shed abroad in the heart. But after it is thus divinely born, it must be divinely nourished. Love is an exotic. It is not a plant that will flourish naturally in human soil. It must be watered from above. Love to Jesus is a flower of delicate nature. And if it received no nourishment, but that which could be drawn from the rock of our hearts, it would soon wither. As love comes from heaven, so it must feed on heavenly bread. It cannot exist in the wilderness unless be fed by manna from on high. Love must feed on love. The very soul and life of our love to God is his love to us. I love thee, Lord, but what with no love of mine, for I have none to give. I love thee, Lord, but all the love is thine, for by thy love I live. I am as nothing and rejoice to be emptied and lost and swallowed up in thee. I'm struck by that concept, and then the last concept I'm struck by is in verse 20 and 21. If you look at it again, how important it is as we profess to love God and have the love of God in our hearts and understand that he loves us, that we love each other. Amen? That we love each other. Now, look, I understand um, some people are easier to love than others. Uh, Brother Jack Wood talked about um, one of his daughters coming to him and saying, uh, you love so-and-so better than me, and it was another one of his daughters, and he just looked at her and he goes, she's easier to love than you. <laughs> and, and you know, uh, that's going to be true in our relationship with others, but the Bible tells us uh, we may not like everything about everybody, and sometimes, God, and I'm going to say this in, in preface, God's crowd's the best crowd. All right, I'll, t I'll take God's crowd any day of the week uh, over the lost world. I'll give you an example of something I heard one time in a locker room after a hockey game. One guy was talking about uh, living up in Sun Valley and living here, and someone asked him, what's the difference? You know what his answer was? He said, when you're up in Sun Valley, you know who's doing your wife. He said, when you come down here in Boise, you don't know who's doing your wife. How's that for a cynical outlook on people? I'm going to tell you something right now. God's people are the best. But even them, they can be stinkers, amen? And even though we're not going to like everything they, they do, and not, we're not always going to like everything about them, uh, the Bible tells us very clearly that we need to love one another. We need to love one another. And you know what? In loving one another, sometimes you just got to let some things go. You've heard the expression, let it go. But sometimes you just got to do that. I find Christians have the hardest time when somebody does things, something to them that they perceive was intentional. And it may not be intentional, but it, they did something to them. And the idea that we've got to hate them and get back at them somehow and be unforgiving and folks, that is the most serious detriment to our testimony that I can think of. Because when we talk to lost sinners about a God that loves them and will be uh, willing to forgive them and save them from their sins, and then we're unwilling to forgive the brethren of something they do to us, 
uh, that just takes our testimony and throws it right out the window. It really does, folks. And uh, no man ever hated like Jesus, and no man ever loved like the Lord Jesus Christ. I think of Christ and his suffering for us, and I think of the pearl. I think of the pearl, and the Bible talks about the pearl of great price. And uh, in the beginning, it's only a grain of sand, and it's a tiny little irritant that slips inside the tight seal of an oyster shell. And immediately it causes discomfort and suffering. And with no way to expel the grain of sand, and with no way to ease the pain, the oyster coats the sand with a layer of the inner lining of its shell to make the sand smooth. And this still doesn't ease the oyster suffering. So again and again and again, the oyster coats the sand, but all the attempts to get rid of the irritant have little effect. And as far as an oyster is concerned, what we call a pearl is nothing more than a source of irritation and suffering. But one day the oyster is fished from the water and open, and the gem inside has amazing beauty and holds great value, all because the oyster had great suffering. And I think of the Bible talking about the pearl of great price and that which the Lord Jesus Christ did to us, and I think to myself, that in Revelation chapter 21, it's no accident that the 12 gates of New Jerusalem are made of pearls because it was the suffering of the Lord Jesus Christ that allows those gates to be there in the first place. No man ever loved like the Lord Jesus Christ. Back during the Vietnam War, whatever their target was, uh, an artillery hit a little orphanage and in the course of that, a little girl was hurt and lost a lot of blood. And so the, she needed some blood, and there was no hospital to go to and get it. And so the nurse brought all the little orphans together, and they had typed this little girl's blood. And they, she explained uh, the best she could. She was an English nurse, and she explained the best she could in her broken uh, pigeon Vietnamese what needed to be done, that we needed somebody to step up and donate blood. And uh, slowly and hesitantly, a little boy put his hand up and kind of down and up and down. And finally, he put it all the way up. And the little boy's name was Heng, H-E-N-G. And they typed him. And it turned out he had the right blood for this little girl. And so they began to uh, uh, take the blood from him to give it to her. And in the course of this, he started sobbing. And uh, so the nurse was trying to communicate with him and find out, what is this sobbing about? Does the needle hurt? And uh, he said no, and, 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 and numerous other questions, but he still continued to sob. And finally, uh, they br brought somebody in there that could speak Vietnamese well enough, and uh, she communicated with the boy, and she gave him some words of assurance, and finally he, he nodded, and he seemed okay. And finally, the other nurse said to this lady, what was the deal? And she said, Heng thought he was going to give all of his blood to her and that he was going to die. And so the nurse said to the lady, ask him why he would have been willing to do that. You see, he had misunderstood. And you know what his reply was? His reply was, because she is my friend. Because she is my friend. Folks, 
we have a friend that sticks closer than a brother. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. And folks, there's no friend on this earth better, as the song says, than the lowly Jesus. No man ever yet hated like Jesus, and no man ever loved like the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And we pray, Lord, that in some measure, somehow, something that was said, perhaps the scriptures alone, uh, would help us to better understand how wonderful the man Christ Jesus was and is. What a great high priest we have this day. And as believers, we might have a greater appreciation for him. Father, we pray for that one in our number this morning, here in the building or looking in online that doesn't know Christ. Father, may they realize that of all the friends they could have, the one that would lay down his life for them is the best one to have. The one who paid the price for their sins was buried and rose again the third day from the dead. The mighty one, the high priest, the God-man, the man Christ Jesus. Lord, may they just bow their heart and mind and head this morning and admit to you, Lord, they're in need of a Savior because of their sin and receive that wonderful gift that you've given us where you said in your word that the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Father, may they by faith received that gift right now in their heart and say yes to Jesus Christ and make the choice to receive him as their personal savior. Father, we thank you for that one whom no man ever spake like, no man ever sorrowed like, no man ever rejoiced like, no man ever hated like, and no man ever loved like the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we are so blessed to be the recipients of that great love. Help us, Lord, to have a greater appreciation and love you more in response to that love as we go forth from this place. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Let's stand and take our hymnals and turn to number 690. Number 690, Jesus Loves Me. Jesus. 
got me up here? All right, praise the Lord. And I'm going to ask Brother Mike Walski if you would come on up here and please close us in a word of prayer. Let's bow our heads and hearts. Our Father and our God, we love you. We thank you that you're a loving God. We thank you that Jesus Christ loved us as none other could. Lord, we thank you for this series of messages to remind us and cause us to reflect on our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, for how great a God he is, for the sacrifice he made on Calvary's cross to save souls like ourselves. Lord, we are so eternally grateful for that. Please bless what we've heard. Help us to dwell upon it, think about it, apply it to our lives that we might love as he loves and give our lives for others that they would come to know him. Bless this day. Bring us back again this evening. We ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.